0: Hello and welcome to the Chasing Faith podcast. This is going to become a place for us to discuss issues of faith in a way that leads us towards a more authentic, open, honest, and generous expression of what we truly believe. I'm Brandon Batson. I'm the producer of this podcast and the communications and connections director here at Christ Church in New York City. I'm here with your host, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Ballman, the senior minister here at Christ Church. Each week, our podcast will begin with Steve giving a short talk on whatever subject we might be covering that week, followed by a discussion between the two of us and guests of the podcast. Today on the podcast, Reverend Bauman and I will be discussing his two recent Faith Matters articles about the upcoming election and the current political moment we are facing here in the States. We discuss the polarization in the country as well as ways forward. Hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: Good morning, Brandon. Glad to be in converse Glad to be in conversation with you this morning. I'm thinking that I might like to have a conversation about what I've written today in Faith Matters, partly because, well, largely because. We're moving into a rather momentous few days ahead, uh, days that are, have captured everyone's attention, of course. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had to discipline myself around the news I've consumed lately. I, I, I think that it would be possible to be 24-7 hooked into every little last thing that someone's trying to say, and I've had to take a very strong... Stance with myself to say, <laughs> let's just <laughs> let's just stay cool and collected, and um, work our way into these next days with as much um, compassionate regard for others and and care for our national life and um, all of that. But so, as I say in my faith matters. Um, which I've entitled "Final Thoughts." Which I point <laughs> out, I don't mean that I'm gathering material for an for an eulogy, um, but I, it did occur to me that I wanted to f- share a few thoughts about what's up ahead this coming week and the weeks beyond. You and I would probably agree, although I have thirty years on you on this, but I'm it, it, this election is unlike any in my lifetime. And it occurs to me that it's likely unlike any other election in certain ways in the history of the United States. So we're we're in a history-making moment.
0: And, <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Uh, right? I'm, I think everyone feels that. It doesn't matter what side of the election they're on or what their vote is. I think everyone is feeling we are in a momentous uh, period of time. And that's our... Election. It's also coupled with the active surge of COVID and so on, and uh, we're all feeling stressed and cooped up. And um, some of us are angry, and others of us are uh, have withdrawn. Um, so these are these are big days and big times.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that just the the polarization that we're seeing um, is also a result of COVID and being, you know, kind of in our own bubbles and that we've created for ourselves to keep ourselves healthy in one way have also just further polarized us and, you know, yeah. we're just more insulated. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's very right.
1: Um, you will recall that several weeks ago, I did reveal my thoughts about this election And in that piece, um, I stated that I was breaking my historic pattern. I have never before expressed a strong opinion about um, who to vote for in a presidential election. And I reminded my listeners that the, uh, or my readers, uh, that Christchurch has had numerous people representing a variety of parties in our pews. Um, and yet we have managed to fashion a very strong programmatic and spiritual perspective, uh, built around the mission to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves, uh, also reflecting God's justice. And we have, uh, fashioned a very um, positive and um, life-changing ministry in the city of New York. Uh, we did that without being especially partisan, per se. Um, yeah. we, we were able to thread the needle on that. But you know, every, every once in a while, and this is one of those once in a whiles, I guess, where... I felt I needed to step out and say, for the sake of keeping integrity with the congregation, that I felt that our current president needed to be decisively defeated. And at the time I wrote um, that was built largely on the fact that he was menacing our voting process and the peaceful transfer of power, which is at the very heart of our democracy. And I felt that could not stand. I wrote that not as a partisan, um, that uh, Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals all had a responsibility to protect the integrity of our democratic processes. I still feel that. I, I still feel that very strongly. And I would add, as I say in my Faith Matters piece this morning, that given the the uh, tragic evolving of COVID-19 coupled with our president's flagrant disregard for expert opinion on how to mitigate its spread, my opinion has only strengthened in this matter. I don't say that as a Democrat. I don't say that as a Republican. I say that as a patriot who is seeking what's best for our national life and for our democracy going forward. But the fact is, I'm also... um, now, today, not attempting to skim a few extra votes um, in my <laughs> you know in my direction. It's way too late for that, in any case. I mean, most listeners probably have already voted, I'm guessing. By the way, as an aside, I voted on Monday, and I'd have to say it was the most positive voting experience I've ever had in the city of New York. Now, I've been here. I'm starting my 34th year. So in all of those years, this actual um, experience on Monday was the best I've ever had. Now, granted, it was busy. There were two blocks worth of a line, but man, it was well executed. And there were really uh, finely trained volunteers. I mean, a lot of them. I actually found the experience rather stirring. And that transcends any partisan idea. It just felt good to be part of something that was working so well uh, hmm. from start to finish. I, have you voted yet?
0: I I have not voted yet. Uh, my plan is to go this weekend. Well, um, but we, Rachel has gone. My wife has gone, and a lot of my friends have.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope it goes as well as it did for me. I, I again, it was the it was actually very stirring. Um, it's so well executed, and you know, New York. Oh my God, historically has been not up to speed quite frankly, and how well executed the voting experience has been. Well, it struck me today that I, that it was worth saying just a few words about who we are in this process, reminding us, us followers after the way of Jesus, of who we are, what we value, what's at stake. And that, um, I want to remind us that we're all part of a movement that's much larger than what happens November 3rd. Hmm. And as I put it in my uh, Faith Matters, we're the rare bird members of that band of followers after the way Jesus blazed. We attempt to reflect the pattern he established rooted in love and justice, defined by the mission to love God above all things and our neighbors as ourselves which remains a very high and compelling calling, and it binds our purposes
0: with God's. Um, Yeah, and I'll say this, and I think this would be an interesting question uh, for you, is, you know, I was talking to some of my friends from a former life, uh, it feels like in some ways, that, you know, kind of definitely come from, you know, the background that i come from kind of conservative evangelicalism and when we talk about politics i just feel like it devolves you know so quickly and we've reached this point where you know it, it becomes adversarial and that is not my desire at all in these matters very much the opposite and i think on the other side of this election there we've got to address this issue of polarization in our country where we feel like we can't talk to each other anymore and that we just have become so siloed uh, that it's so difficult to have open and honest dialogue with each other. And I think that's honestly in some ways how we've gotten to this point where we really can't talk about the facts of the situation anymore or um, if that makes sense. Sure. No, I,
1: the partisanship is just, um, extreme, uh, most, more extreme than at any time in my life. It was pretty extreme back in the sixties and seventies around the issue of Vietnam, but this, this actually has uh, more vitriol. And, um, yeah, as I recall anyway, um, I mean, passions ran high back then and, and, um, You know, people's sons and daughters were going off to die for a war that that, uh, made no sense. So so opinions were strong and um, and the country was split on that. But I would say even then, there was still an undergirding idea that we're all part of a national family, And though we disagree, we still recognize our um, unity underneath all of that. And I I would say that feels less true today. Do you have that sense? I mean, you have nothing to compare it to, but do you see what I'm saying?
0: I mean, yeah, 100%. Like I remember, you know, I was in high school, but I remember my parents' group of friends, even during the 2000s. Uh, election which was i mean arguably a really partisan time as well um i remember like the iraq or not yeah the iraq war um afghanistan war time and even then like there's a lot of partisan back and forth but never in my lifetime have i felt that there was this level of of vitriol and i think a lot of it is because of social media and being able to kind of lob bombs without you know face-to-face interaction um but yeah there's just something happening that's unlike anything that i think we've ever seen you know in american consciousness
1: right you know from a spiritual point of view this becomes quite nuanced um paradoxical. You know, I make no apology for my point of view on how uh, our mission to love God and neighbor uh, helps us interpret current conditions, understanding the demands for justice, articulating the truth that no one stands outside of God's embrace. I make no apology for that. Uh, On the other hand, even underneath that or above that, remains this reality that we are, all of us, loved and held forever, as are our enemies, so-called, those with whom we disagree, those outside the borders of our tribe that nevertheless share the same sacred genetics that we claim having been fashioned in God's image. It is so, it's so vitally important that um, sincere Christians hang on to that, as an undergirding principle as we move forward and continue to advance our point of view about what we think it actually means to love God and neighbor. And that's a, that's a very, very hard discipline. That's a very hard discipline. There are those critics who would say, well, if you err on the side of, oh, just love, 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 that you're, that you're losing focus on what actually matters in the, in the material lives of people. And then there are other critics of those who focus in that direction. that say, "Well, you're you're forgetting that even your enemies are meant to be loved and cherished and embraced." Um, you know, I am I am mindful that the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley. And by the way, um, when I when I became a Methodist, I never thought of that as an especially high calling moment. It was more akin to recognizing that that <clears throat> I felt the gospel, as as uh, lived, modeled, and presented by Wesley, was consistent with my understanding, my reading of the gospel, my experience of how God was working in my life. And it wasn't about making a, a denominational decision. It was about um, making a decision that, that uh, promoted a, a point of view about how the gospel worked its way in people's lives and in the world. So in Wesley's case, it is very useful to remember that he was a forceful, aggressive public abolitionist at a time that that was a distinctly minority position. Mm. And, um, and so it's okay for us as Christians to advance um minority positions uh that we believe are based and rooted in the gospel um and and at all times anchoring coming back to the fundamental mission to love god and neighbor Um, and um yet advancing those positions will put us at odds with other christians And again, using slavery as an example, um, the Southern church in the United States, and there were Northern people too, but expressly the Southern church, that is the Confederate Christians, used their faith as a defense morally, practically, and politically for their belief that slavery was acceptable in the eyes of God. And sometimes every... Once in a while, maybe more than once in a while, um, there are sharp differences of opinion about how to understand and interpret the gospel working its way out in the world. Um, So we will, even as Christians, have different differing points of view. And it's, man, it's hard work to hang on to the idea that those who, who stand on the other side of some deeply deeply important matters are still beloved of god still part of the same family and we owe them respect and compassionate regard
0: yeah i think i think that may be part of the hard thing for a lot of people who kind of have the more open-handed view of you know faith during this time, because it sometimes seems that that other side is so, um, tunnel vision in their view, you know, and that they can't see anything outside of their very limited scope. It seems like, you know, uh, when you, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, when you have this view of faith that it is this, it's this very one thing and it's expressed in this very one way that anything outside of that is not only different, but wrong, you know, it's really hard to come to any kind of agreement or any kind of, um, way forward. And so I, sometimes I wonder like, how do we, after this election, after no matter what the end is, like how do we come together as a nation, as, as believers to move forward when our understandings of right and wrong and faith is so diametrically opposed it seems.
1: Yeah. You know who, (laughs) interestingly enough, um, spoke to this um, best, in my opinion, in our country, was Abraham Lincoln. I think a case could be made to say that Lincoln was the finest public theologian our nation has ever had, and uh, his inaugural addresses, both of them, are worth reading. I would commend them to the uh, to the listeners to to refresh their memories, or if or for the first time to to read those documents, because in both of them, he strives to. Um, Accomplish what we're talking about, which is keeping the nation together in the midst of a terrible, terrible calamity of um, of war that was separating and uh, separating people. You know, over seven hundred thousand people died in that war, mm. um, and yet there was after the fact. An attempt to bind it together, the nation together, and it didn't work very well. Uh, it sort of worked in a way, but it was fraught with problems from the get-go, and we're still experiencing the results of that um, in our current. Uh, what are we doing? We're, our current discussion, our current experience of systemic racism. Mm. Um, so part of the reason to say this is that Christians who are thoughtful and sincere in wanting to make a difference, um, all of us can, can work hard after November 3rd, no matter how the election goes, to be binders of the nation while still promoting what we believe, um, are the outcomes that the gospel predicts,
0: um, Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, after all is said and done, after this, you know, election, and really after this time of COVID, right, this will eventually end, you know, or at least we'll get back to some closer normal, you know, Right. Um, we've got to find a way to communicate. And to find common ground and enter back into a time of civility, you know, in politics and even, I think, within the church. And I think those of us who enter into that in good faith will see um, positive results. You know, I think we cannot stay this fractured. We have to find areas of common goals. And common goodwill in the world, um, or I think this fracturing will just continue. Yeah. Oddly enough, I think one of the things
1: that might push us in that direction is simple exhaustion. Mm, <laughs> I yeah. think, I think, I think partisans are exhausted. I mean, a lot of them. I think they're exhausted. They're exhausted from advancing their own cause. They're exhausted from being. They're just exhausted from the great divide that exists in our nation. And I'm hopeful that that simple exhaustion will um, help motivate us to find a way to live together. I also think um, this rebinding isn't going to happen from on high. It won't be mandated. It won't be legislated particularly. It's going to have to happen within local communities. You know, if I'm exactly. if I'm hiring uh, someone to you know do something at my house, uh, and that person is from a different planet politically from me, I nevertheless want to be working with that person uh, because they're my brother or sister, just like everyone else is, and we're part of the same community. We're part of the next the, the network that binds uh, a healthy community together and so I'm thinking that that um, there's opportunity there at the very local level you know many sociologists and <clears throat> and commentators have pointed out how we've lost those natural community building institutions including churches by the way um, but the you know the kowanis all of the clubs all of that, all of those uh, little local community uh, networks that brought people of difference of opinion together, Uh, even school, public schools do that. Um, But when you yank your kid out of a public school and put them in a private school, whether it be a religious school or whether it be, you know, uh, an elite school, no matter what, you're, you're missing an opportunity for engaging public conversation and binding up the whole, all of those things are at work. All of those things are at work in this absolutely you know and then and then we have this dance going forward brandon i think as i was alluding to earlier that our desire for building um rebuilding our our communities of care and our compassionate regard for people different from ourselves even with that uh we must not lose perspective on what we believe the gospel is asking of us. Now, on the one hand, the gospel is asking of us to help work towards the common good, rebuilding our communities of care. Uh, But then also there are these um, more focused uh, outcomes that seem a a necessity to address based on our desire to love God and neighbor. Things like... um, um, the civil rights of um, our LGBTQIA uh, brothers and sisters and siblings, and um, and the whole and all of the dimensions of systemic racism, these become part and parcel of what it, of the agenda of what it means to be Christian in the twenty first century. We do we work on that, believing that's essential for the sake of the upbuilding of our common good, but at the same time. Right along with that, we are extending compassionate regard to people who strongly disagree with us as we are advancing our point of view. This is a very, this is a very mature thing, you know.
0: No, exactly, and I think, um, I think that's what it is hard to think about right now because we're right in the middle of this, and and Tuesday we we won't have all the answers, but there's there is an end point in our future. But after that, we have to realize that our mission as Christians does not hinge on who wins this election. Correct. The job of bringing the kingdom of God to earth still exists, and we have to move forward. You know, we have to be about that, you know, God's work in the world. That's right. And, you know, the political machinations that we see, they have a role in that, but that's not the end game. That's right. And, um,
1: so to that, to, to that point, uh, the, the the purpose and calling to love God and neighbor, it, it will be as real on November 4th or January 21st or any other future date as it is today. We are loved and held forever. Um, and as I said earlier, as our enemies, so-called, those with whom we disagree. Um, so that's an agenda that will be before us after November 4th. Um, and, it, and it runs the gamut from um, how, how I'm going to be um, addressing people in the grocery store to <laughs> what I'm going to be working on in, in, for the sake of public policy to what I'm going to be working on for the sake of the church and its ability to identify the truth that all people are beloved of God. As we express in our own Christchurch family around our communion table, at which we say, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. This is just the tip of the iceberg, is it not? And we'll be having more conversations like this in the future as, um, hmm, and let's offer a prayer for our nation this week, coming week. Let us, in fact, pray for our president. Um, and let us pray for all of our public leaders and civil leaders. Let us ask that God will bind up our nation's uh, wounds and uh, bring us to a deeper clarity about the, the um uh, importance of our common good and committing ourselves to the common good on that note maybe god bless america
0: amen amen